I'm Shreen Patek, and this is Starting Out. To today's podcast, where I talk to the leaders in the marketing industry about their personal stories that make them the prominent voices and decision makers in the business today. It feels like a renaissance in the marketing function is underway as more top marketers seek to gain back control of their brands, of their customer experiences, and even of their teams. Part of that is a growing enthusiasm from brand marketers that their brands have to be more than buildings. They have to stand for something. It's a tall order, especially if you sell toothpaste or deodorant. But my guest this week, Anheuser-Busch US CMO Marcel Marcondes, is on a mission to make it happen. Fun is very important. Tell me about the last time you had a lot of fun, or the most recent time. Uh, last time I had a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a bad sign. <laughs> I know that. It's taking me story. too long to answer, right? Marcel has had a career where he learned to take risks and make bets. And the current marketing landscape, where the writing on the wall for marketers is disrupt or be disrupted, his experience comes in handy. So we were just talking right before we started recording about Battle of the Brews. And yeah. and I think that is um, it's a great place to start because it has a lot of, I think it tells you a lot about the way you work, the way the company works, um, the way the brand works. Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to hear a little bit about Battle of the Brews first before we got into some of the more juicy stuff. I think it was very interesting because it was fun. And that is something that we always remind ourselves of. We do beer. And beer has to be fun. Beer needs to bring people together. That's the, the nature of the product, right? So that was exactly the conversation we had before that event. Like, let's try to make it really fun and interesting for people to engage and enjoy it instead of just having another bureaucratic moment where you have the corporation talking about their brands and their beers and others are listening, taking notes and everything. So I think that dynamic was really cool. Is fun a big part of sort of you as a leader, you as an employee, you as somebody who works in the business? Yes, it is. And actually, it has to be an even bigger part of our routine. We're going through disruption times, so there's a lot of pressure going on. So I hear. Right? So nowadays, either you disrupt or you get disrupted. So there's no comfort zone anymore. Maybe the biggest part of my job is exactly to make sure that myself and my team, that we're all going to feel comfortable about always being uncomfortable. Because whenever somebody says everything's under control, I say, wow, I have a problem here. <laughs> There's no such a thing like as everything's under control anymore. So this is why when you, when you live uh, uh, under those circumstances, it's really important for you to manage right? how to place bets, how to take risks, uh, how to really believe in what you're doing in the North Star and the strategy and to go for it. So it's really important for us to enjoy the ride. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's only pain. And especially in our business, uh, creativity is so important. Beer is a big part of culture, right? So that's why I love what I do. I think it's I have one of the best jobs in the world by far. We really do things that people pay attention to. We are part of people's lives. So if we don't have fun, right? And people will not engage or enjoy what we do. And today we woke up and the news were like, wow, AB is really being successful in, in their recent innovations. So for Memorial Day, uh, uh, we drove the big majority of the, 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 the incremental volumes that the beer industry saw mm -hmm. in the holiday compared to, 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 to the year before. 
And so like the team was like, wow, amazing. So it's good when you see like, yes, we are starting to make a difference and we are disrupting a little bit the routine again. We are not only the leaders, but we are acting as leaders again. And then everybody, when I got to the office, they had beautiful smiles <laughs> on their faces and people started to sing and to dance. And then we started to do our thing like that. This is how we do it. I don't know the rest. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I just don't remember. That exactly, right? Mystery. That's the thing. Nobody knows. Is, <laughs> is there any more to that song? Yeah, that's the only Probably. piece that matters, right? That's so the only this piece is, that matters. This is how we do it. So whenever we, we, have, we, we do something good, whenever we celebrate, we look to each other and say, yeah, this is how we do it. So it was a nice moment this morning. Something you just said struck me, which is that there is kind of this narrative, and I think it's, it's a bigger business narrative around legacy is being disrupted legacy is the big bad incumbent guys whether you're looking at beer whether you're looking at banking or you're looking at fashion sort of there is this sort of let's all root for the underdog dtc brand small consumer company mom and pop store it's an interesting and very difficult way to kind of think about how modern business is structured because it's a it's a complete reversal from the way things have been for so many years how does that kind of change the way, you know, you think of yourselves at AB and how you operate as a company? Because even big companies are made up of people at the end of the day. This is exactly when brands must make a difference. Because if people only think about the companies, companies are buildings and the bigger you are, the biggest the building is, at least in people's imagination, right? Full of employees and everything. And then they, 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 they think of you as a corporation or as a factory. Right, and that's by the way the, the the big thing we fight against on beer because then people see like, okay, so Budweiser, Bud Light, mass produced, right? Because they think about the company and the company became too big to do something that really feels close to people, and this is when brands need to make a difference because in the end, what matters is what you is what your brand stands for. Right, the company people cannot think about the company. They need to think about the brand and the product they they they, they really buy, mm -hmm. right? And if you have a brand that really stands for something meaningful, relevant to people, that's what they really care about in the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then even the fact that you are a big company can make a very big positive difference because if you're really small, you can have great intentions, but you cannot really do much. When you're big, like you do have the resources to make a real difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. You can actually walk the talk. Exactly, right? So you can really bridge from the intentions to, 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 to action and to really making a difference. Uh, and that's what we try to do. And that's, I guess, I guess, our North Star. But it all starts by having strong brands with a clear purpose. People need to understand what each one of our brands stand for. And this thing needs to be really relevant and meaningful to them. So the mantra we have internally, like we say, our role as a marketing team mm -hmm. is to put people first. Mm -hmm. It sounds simple, but it's very hard to do because we all have our business goals, our strategies and our missions and our dilemmas to address. And very often we, we, we leave consumers for the fifth priority to be optimistic. I would argue that marketing actually for a long time left, had as their first priority, not even the business goals, not even the consumers, but advertising. Let's make sure we have great, cool, creative advertising, ir irrespective of whether it actually matched to business goals, irrespective of if it drew the, actually 
contributed to the bottom line, if there was like a line between those two things. And actually, one of the things I found most interesting about hearing more CMOs speak recently is how much more business-minded they are, how much more strategically minded. Maybe they always were. Maybe they're just talking more about it now. But suddenly it's like marketing has to drive the bottom line. And it's it's being treated as this ah, moment. Is that is that true? Is there a reason why there's sort of seems to be this awakening of like marketing can't just exist in this advertising creative function it has to actually make sense with the rest of the company and the CMO works for that part of the business? I think these things happen in cycles and in sorry and, and I think in different periods of periods of time we we face different kinds of crises. But the CMO as a role is always a very challenging one, exactly because uh, people need different things for, out of the CMO, depending on what's going on, right? But my personal opinion about it is that, or I, I can talk about my role. When people ask me what's my role, my answer is my role is to drive growth. And everything else is a consequence, mm -hmm. especially in our reality. Like we need to, to, to make sure that we're going to grow organically. Our company made a lot of acquisitions and everything. So we need to grow organically. And for a company to grow organically, I don't see any other way that is not via strong brands. Mm -hmm. So this is why I guess marketing, especially in our reality here, is becoming more and more relevant for the company as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, I think we need to balance the two skills. Let's put it like this. I don't believe, uh, uh, I, I think that if a marketer only focuses on the creativity side, soon there will be problems because then the company will see you as the, as, as, as the person that spends the money and drives creativity, but it's not uh, paying Maybe attention to, to the business and, and everything. And then uh, you see it's just fluffy uh, showing off and everything. Mm -hmm. If you only focus on the business side, you're not going to be creative, right? So I guess it is really hard to be a CMO nowadays exactly because of that. We must have the skills to combine the two sides of the equation and to use the two sides of the brain and everything. And that's definitely not easy, right? You've been at AB for a long time. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, you know, joining the company, um, what some of the different roles you held were, and then we could talk a little bit about how that, those have evolved over time. When I joined uh, AB, it was awesome because I felt first the first impact of really living in an environment of ownership and meritocracy which at a first glance was very scary because I, I was used to something like, okay, we, we did a lot of analysis and then analysis are showing us that if you do A, B, and C, you can grow 15%. Mm. Therefore, your role is to do A, B, and C and your target is to grow 12. At A, B, we say, okay, we do the same analysis, we get to the same conclusions, but you say, okay, if we know how to grow 15, your role is to grow 35 Then say, but how am I going to get there? And then the answer is always like, this is why you're here. Right. What so, are we paying you for? Exactly, right. Because for, for the first 15%, we already know what to do. Your <laughs> role is exactly to, to bring us the, the extra 15%. And this is scary at a first glance, but this is exactly what I love about our culture, which is there's not a recipe, there's not a here's your job description, go just follow the, the, the bullet points and this is what, you, what we expect you to do. It's all about, my friend, figure this out. And this is when you feel like you make a difference for the good and for the bad. And you really need to, to, to like it. And I love it. Yeah. Right. This is when you really feel like you're driving the business. It's, I feel like it's my business. Do you remember a time that you failed and it didn't go well? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Yesterday, this morning. No, yeah, that happens very often. Uh, especially like uh, when we talk about taking risks, it, it becomes very explicit when we talk about innovation. Talk to anybody that says 100% of my, of my innovations worked. There's always something that fails. And I failed in many of the innovations I did uh, in my career. The first big failure that I had is, is the first things you never forget, right? So we launched the line extension uh, of our beer brand back there in Brazil as well. And we, 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 we invested millions and millions and millions. The key thing was because we, we placed a really big bet behind that product, it was everywhere. And then talking about interviews, I gave tons of interviews. It was in all magazines and websites and everything. And then it was such a disaster that I had people, because feeling is always tough and you always talk about it, but it was the first, or it's one of the big moments that I remember where people could hold magazines and say, hey, look at you here, look at your picture, right? It was a massive failure, right? <laughs> look at the smile you had in your face here by the time you took the picture and look, look at what's going on now. So there was bullying because of that, you know? So it, was, it wasn't only about the business issue that we were facing. There was bullying because of the big exposure that I had and that the product had and everything, right? So it was personal and it was a massive failure. Like we, we took the product out in one year. Hmm. That was tough. I totally remember that. I totally remember that. What do you, what do you think you learned from it? The number one learning was it's okay to take risks. It's not only okay, it's highly necessary to take risks. But the risks can be better calculated. You don't need to go big and national and bet all in behind something that you believe, right? So do it, bring it to life, bet behind it. Listen to your guts and if you really believe in, on, on an idea, make it happen. But you don't need to, to go all in write it in your first move, right? Give it a try. See how people react to that. Give yourself a chance to adjust some things, to learn. And then once you feel more confident uh, uh, about the real in-market results and feedback that you're seeing and getting, then you bet big. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that that a lot of people sort of don't maybe recognize that or think about that. Oh, yes. Attention is the big asset nowadays. So it's the hardest thing to, to, to capture from people. So whenever we're talking about attention, we're usually talking about culture. And these things are time sensitive. So either you connect to something that is happening now, now, or you miss the train. Right, so in these situations, you cannot make them make a choice. You cannot think too much. Mm -hmm. You just close your eyes, take a deep breath, and go. Right, in these things, either it's in, you, either you're in or out. When you're talking about product innovation, I think that kind of situation gives you the chance to pilot and learn a little bit before you really scale up something. So different ways of tackling and addressing different situations. Right. Tell me a little bit about all, again, you worked in many different roles um, inside AB, different types of marketing. What has been the most surprising thing about how just marketing as a function within the company has changed? To be really honest with you, the feeling I had at the beginning was that marketing was treated as a support function. So somebody else, like between finance, sales, uh, uh, so on and so forth, supply, they were making the calls on 
what the company needed to do, how to grow, defining the strategy. And then it was more like, okay, marketing, now you develop uh, one TVC here and something here and there. Like, okay, this is what we need you to do. And I guess over time, people are getting more and more brutally aware of the fact that brands are the biggest assets that companies own. And we all in a company need to take care of our brands. Actually, the thing now is that I think marketing has been evolving so much that what I see happening now, like from support function to really going to the driver's seat or being part of being at least at the cockpit instead of being the flight attendant. So from not enough meetings to many, many meetings. To many meetings. And now I think we're, we're, we're getting to a point where the whole company needs to understand that all of us uh, are brand owners because it's the biggest asset of the company. And now everybody needs to be more brand knowledgeable somehow. Which I think goes back to what we were just talking about, because I do, again, I, I do think that there has been this resurgence of the CMO, this resurgence of the marketing function recently. And digital had a lot to do with it. Suddenly what marketing was doing was not only noticed more, there was more, there were more ways to do it. There's more ways to measure if it's working. Suddenly everybody has a say. How was that trend? What was that transition like? Yeah, I think this is really exciting, but also challenging, right? And uh, for, I guess the best example I have to talk about it is like, it maybe was easier in the past because people could talk about marketing like, okay, what's your share of voice? So how much media are we buying? So people's attention, back well, to your point well, on attention. the more money you spent, the bigger your share of voice was. Yeah, right. It was something like, it was almost like you could buy people's attention. So the, the bigger your share of voice is, so the more attention people are going to pay to you. So it's all about doing a decent TVC that people will be there for you. Mm -hmm. But now they're not there for us anymore. And arguably AB, because you have the most amount of money, is able to then or was able to buy that attention because you could. You're a rich company, right? Yes, as, as, a, <laughs> right? as a consequence of people buying our products because they love it, right? Of course. Uh, but that's changed. Suddenly it's about the brand. It's about the brand and it's about how to connect our brands to the consumers because there's not a recipe anymore. It's not, it's not about what's the share of voice and what's the next TVC. Mm -hmm. It's all about what's going on in culture. It's all about really understanding what the brands stand for so that you can find a place in culture where what you stand for becomes something relevant. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's all about driving first attention and then engagement because people really engage to what you represent. Then we talk about the product, mm -hmm. right? And the product comes after, I guess, that emotional connection. And of course, we need to make sure that people understand uh, and value our products. And thank God that, that that's been happening uh, pretty well. But I think we have so many different channels to reach out to consumers. It's much more complex now. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think it's very exciting to be a CMO now, but it's also very challenging. I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you all about Digiday Plus, our very premium membership product. Subscribe and you get Digiday Magazine, invitations to exclusive member-only events, lots and lots of valuable research and briefings from all of our summits from around the world and much, much more. It's only $3.95 a year and you can sign up at digiday.com. You will love it, I promise. Now, back to the episode. Tell me a little bit about sort of realizing that that's as much a part of your job as is, you know, figuring out a marketing strategy, making sure it makes sense with growth and all of that, that you have to make sure that every brand manager, every employee is kind of buying into what your vision is and agrees with it and will then go and do all of these things that you want. 
Yeah, I think, well, that applies, I guess, to every kind of business, but especially when you are, when you are in a big company, you're always dealing with hundreds, thousands of people. So it's really hard to make sure that the direction is clear. So that's the first objective, clarity. But then even when you reach clarity, you feel like, okay, they understand it, but they don't really love it. So as a person, I don't believe that you can do anything outstanding unless you really bring passion to what you do. So I always have these two missions. First, they need to understand in a very simple and clear way what's the direction, what's the North Star. But then I always feel like, okay, I have to bring passion to the table as well. So how can you really connect to people? In the end, it's all about the people. And we are human beings brewing beer to other human beings, right? So I only feel happy about the meeting or, or, or a big uh, communication moment when I feel like people he- react to, 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 to the subject that we're talking with passion. Mm-hmm. Because this is when I feel like, okay, I've hit the nerve that will drive greatness. Mm-hmm. Now I can expect people to go beyond just ordinary because they're bringing their passions their passion to 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 the game as well what about externally because again you're you had marketing at a really big company a lot of things and the decisions you make and the way you think about how the industry is moving and changing can have a lot of effect on how other people are thinking about the industry and you know like you said this is a time of disruption a lot of things are broken a lot of things need to be fixed and the brands are the ones who are going to have to fix it because ultimately it's their money and they're the ones who get to make a lot of those decisions. How does that work for you? Uh, that's the most exciting piece of the, of the work, I guess, because people really need to admire what you do, what your company does. They need to admire your brands because whenever a brand becomes a big brand, either people really start to love that brand. This is why we talk about love brands and everything. Either they really develop this emotional connection to your brand or you're done. Mm-hmm. So then you reach that ultimate level of relationship with your consumers and with any of your stakeholders that everything you do really needs to be meaningful and people need to react like, wow. Are you thinking, do you think about marketing as something that the marketer needs to take more control of and not sort of leave it up to whether it's agencies or ad tech or other parts of the ecosystem and have that be done more by the brand, by the people who know the brand the best? I really believe it's a 50-50 responsibility. So I am definitely not the kind of guy that blames agencies. Oh, this campaign was bad. Yeah, and the agency, yeah, <laughs> they, they changed their talents or yeah, they didn't do a good job. That's a tried and time. tested tactic. Throw the agency under the Ex- bus. Exactly, right. So it's, it's, it's always about us. And I really, really genuinely believe it's a 50-50 thing. If you don't provide clarity of direction, if you don't bring their passion, as we just spoke about, to the, to, to the game, then they're not going to bring the best they can do. Right? How do you inspire them? Well, uh, for me, first, it's all about um, making sure that we, because again, I don't refer to them as them, it's us. I think we need to feel really excited about what we're trying to achieve in terms of making a difference in people's behaviors. How are we going to make sure that people will get emotionally connected to what we do? It's it's clear when, you, when you're having a, a meeting with, the, with agencies and you feel like you're just talking about a tactical thing mm. that is really not going to hit any nerve or any, any, any emotions. But when you feel like you're hitting something that people will react to that emotionally, then you feel like, wow, it's exciting. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is to create a true, uh, a genuine environment of trust. Because either we feel like we're together on this and we're going to take risks and nobody's going to point fingers uh, at nobody if something goes wrong, right? We're together on this and we trust each other and we're going to jump together. Uh, either we build, you build this or things don't happen uh, as well. So these are the two things that, are, that I think are absolutely important for great creativity. Mm-hmm. Can I add a third one? Yes. I think paying them very fairly. How much of the current issues, stepping away from AB, but how much of the current issues between the tension you see between agencies and clients and all of this throwing under the bus has stemmed from, in some ways, just a lack of clear expectations on either side. And a lot of them, a lot of that has resulted in the usual agencies. They're being squeezed, they're not being paid, or their margins are going down. How much of that has come from both the brand and agency never kind of getting to a point of that trust? But the same, are hap- the same is happening to, to, to clients as well. I don't see this as an issue for, for agencies only. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do recognize compensation in this relationship model as a very critical thing that has to evolve. But for me, it's all about reestablishing the way we build the partnership. So, for example, on the client side, I agree with you. It's kind of tough and sometimes way too convenient just to say, okay, thanks, but we're done, right? But also, for, if, you, if you change sides a little bit, like this, this model where agencies charge you for hours per person, it feels like it's really old, right? And it especially doesn't work when they're also talking about rate discounts in the same breath. Exactly. How come both are happening? Exactly. So the way I see it is that the common ground we should try to find, and that's, of course, what we're trying to build day after day, is like, how can we build this partnership around what we can build together mm-hmm. and to, to and to feel like that all of us will get compensated by the results we're delivering mm-hmm. and then okay it's never a simple conversation but i guess the closer we get to 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 that place the better it's going to be to everybody because everybody's going to feel like we're having the right incentives mm-hmm. what has changed about also um on the in a little bit of the same track about marketers and clients' relationships with the platforms. I think there was a point at which it felt like the platforms were controlling so much of the conversation and the narrative, and it does feel like the pendulum has shifted back a little bit. Like that conversation, for for many different reasons, has changed. How do you sort of see the marketer-platform relationship evolving? Platform. What exactly do you mean by that? Because I mean we Facebook. Can, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> We all have our challenges. They have their challenges as well. And I think like, especially when you talk about the digital world, you feel very attracted by the fact that at least it feels like you can track everything. You can measure everything. And then it could become a a scientific thing where you could have control of everything. But that's the big trap because in the end, that's a vehicle for you to talk to people. Mm-hmm. So it's never going to be black or white. It's never going to become a number that you can control. So I don't like to talk about Facebook or specific platforms. I put all that in, in, in the cluster of how do we deal with data. The only thing that I care about is what the insight that I can get from this mm-hmm. that can help me to establish a better human connection. I couldn't care less about tons and tons and tons of data Data by data means literally nothing. Facebook, by the way, is all about, in theory, making human connections. Human connections, right? So I guess uh, they they need to make sure that all those 
all the trouble they need to to go through to uh, uh, to make sure that they're gonna keep their system Absolutely. under control is not gonna get ahead of what really matters exactly for them but right? there is this pivot to reality happening which is it's not about big numbers it's not about just well we have a lot of metrics it's about well, what does that mean because exactly. that reality is starting to creep up and it's it's almost like the earlier days of digital you were everyone was sort of seduced by this idea that it would be fine as long as we got the numbers and everybody i mean i i cannot tell you the amount of emails and phone calls that i that i get on a daily basis like uh, of people saying I can give you the perfect recipe and the perfect solution for you to do one-to-one -one marketing and your ROI will be 10 times better. So please, we need to talk and everything. So this is tricky, right? It's a big trap. And how many of them are about blockchain or artificial intelligence now, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was Marcel Mercandez and that's it for this episode. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, please subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or anchor.fm. I'm Shereen Patek. We'll see you next week.